Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. This podcast is supported by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. We've been using Active Skin Repair for a few months now, and I am seriously impressed. They use a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which is pretty much a superhero in skincare. It mimics your body's own immune response, helping to cleanse, soothe, and reduce inflammation to support the natural healing process. And let me tell you, it works for more than just scraped knees. Whether it's sunburns, rashes, or even more persistent issues like eczema or acne, Active Skin Repair has got you covered. The best part? It's totally safe and non-toxic. That means it's gentle enough for every skin type, from the little ones to grandma and everyone in between, making it the go-to for everyone in the family. I scraped my knuckle the other day while doing laundry, and my first thought was to grab the active skin repair because one, it doesn't sting like other products, and two, I knew it would help me heal faster. So if you're looking for a natural, effective way to handle boo-boos, check out Active Skin Repair. And because you're a listener, you can get 20% off your order. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code CLUTTERFREE. Again, that's ActiveSkinRepair.com and use code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off your order. Well, hello, hello, my friend. Welcome back to the show. I'm Deanna Yates, and you are listening to episode 177 of the Wannabe Clutter-Free Podcast. On today's show, I am chatting with Anya Dunham about setting up our home environments to function better for life with baby and beyond. She is an ecologist and studies how humans interact with their homes and environments. And in fact, she has written a book on how to set up our homes so we can have more peace when baby enters the picture. But don't worry if you are past that baby stage like me, there are plenty of things we touch on today that will help you with your older children and yourself. After all, your home is such a big part of your life that it's important that we make it function well and support all who live there. And if you are just entering that parent phase after today's episode, you will be ahead of the game. I'm so jealous. But before we get into our conversation, I want to say thank you for joining me today. I am so grateful that you are here. If you enjoy what you hear, can you please do me a favor and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it? Do you know someone who is starting a family? Well, share this with them and let them be ahead of the game. How nice would it be to feel so confident in your motherhood going forward because you know that you have set up the right systems in place. You can share it via text or email if you are listening to this on your phone, or you can even share it via social media. It helps me get the word out about how letting go of your clutter can free you up to a world of possibilities that you never imagined before. And I am on a mission to spread that message out to as many women as I can because I think the world filled with women who believe in themselves would be an amazing place. That's why I was thrilled to get a chance to have this conversation this week. Let's take a moment to learn more about my amazing guest. Anya Dunham is a mom of three young kids. She's a research scientist with a PhD in biology and the author of an award-winning book, Baby Ecology. In her book, she looked at the research on baby's first year through the lens of her scientific field, ecology, to help parents create physical and emotional environments in their home that work best for their babies. Give this episode a listen, and when you're done, head over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 177 to get the show notes for today's episode with links to Anya's website and her many resources. Again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 177. And now let's get to our conversation. Well, hi, Anya. Welcome to the Wannabe Clutter-Free Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are going to be talking about a really interesting subject, and I normally talk about it from more of a whole family perspective. I know you focus a lot on the baby's first years, and so I'm really excited to jump on in and talk about kind of using our home environments and how we can set ourselves up for success. 
But before we get into that, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and what led you to this area of study? Yeah, thank you. So my name is Anya Dunham, and I have a PhD in biology. I work as a research scientist studying ecology. So the ways that living things interact with each other and with their environment. So that's my day job. And I'm also the author of a book that gathers together the science of baby's first year. It's called Baby Ecology. And then last but not least, I'm a mom to three young kids. And something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how parenting is not really meant to be work. I think parenting, now that I'm at this point in my parenting journey, feels more like an art. And it's more of an art of discovering who our kids are and just developing and growing our connection with them. But of course, parenting comes with, it comes with a lot of work. There's a lot that needs to be done, like all the planning, the mental load, the organizing, the cleaning, and then planning and cleaning and organizing again. And it's just, that's a lot, right? And then I started thinking about it from the perspective of my research as an ecologist, because we do all this work that surrounds parenting. Most of it happens in our homes. So and we can think of our homes as our sort of micro system, like our habits, the places where we live. And unlike other species in the universe, we actually have a lot of control, a lot of intention that we can put into setting up our home environment so that they can help us do this work that inevitably comes with parenthood. And, and in looking at it this way, it just really helped me come up with some ideas to make our home life a little bit smoother, a little bit easier when our kids were babies and now that they're growing. And so I'd love to share some of those ideas today. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to talk about this. I love how you talked about how you broke down ecology for us, because I don't think a lot of us that are in the science, that are not in the science field might not quite understand what that means. Thank you for breaking that down. And I am really interested to, yeah, kind of dive in, but what led you to ecology? What took you down that path? Oh, that's a good question. I've always been interested in how things work ever since I was a little kid. And especially how living things function. I was one of those kids who used to just gather frogs and bugs and, and look at them when I was little. But I've also been really interested in relationships as well. And so for a while, I actually, in high school, I hesitated. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be a psychologist or a biologist. And I sort of ended up doing a little bit of both just through my day job and through teaching that I've done and now through the doing all the reading for that led into writing my book. And so I feel like I've kind of combined my mind and my heart in this kind of work. I love that. Well, I love how there are so many things open to a lot of us and we don't necessarily know right away. So it was interesting how you went down one path and then you kind of formed back and forth between the two. And this ended up being a really good marriage of them. So that's really fun. I like that. Thank you. I always love to know how people chose their professions or so it's just I love it's one of my favorite things about this podcast is getting to meet people from all over the world and different walks of life at different professions and it's just such an eye-opening experience thank you so much for joining us um and sharing the days let's talk about it what talk about those stories where you so you were in ecology before you became a mom is that that right? That's right. But yeah, by the time, so my kids are, I have a preteen, I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. So a little bit with all these stages of parenthood all at once right now. And when my first daughter was born, who is now uh, 12, I've already spent about 10 or so years in the field and in the lab doing ecological research. And I also, I read a lot of books uh, on parenting. And so I thought I was really prepared for the task. And yet, I felt what I think a lot of parents can relate to when she finally arrived. It was just, it was overwhelming. It was just a lot emotionally and physically and in every sense, of, in every sense. And I think there's not a lot that can prepare us for that just overwhelming experience. I think it's meant to overwhelm us, honestly. But there are some things that we can make 
that, that we can do to make it a little bit easier on ourselves. And in thinking about babies, one thing that I remember very clearly is how quickly our home was overrun by various baby things and baby equipment. And I think even before she arrived, we had the exosaucer, a couple of those baby seats. We had a high chair already because all these things came as hand-me-downs from our very lovely friends and family. But what I found is that actually a lot of the things were not necessary in the end and mostly ended up taking space. And what I did find, the two things that I found really helpful during the baby stage in terms of setting ourselves up, one was for when the babies are really little, I think setting ourselves up as parents to be comfortable was so important. And two things that were really great, I thought, was having a really good baby carrier that really is really comfortable and fits the parent well. And then having somewhere to sit that is really comfortable, like a really good chair or a couch or a bed, whatever it looks like for the family. Because we do spend so much time just snuggling with them and maybe going for walks and things like that. And so I think it's having that physical setup and not a lot of clutter that was really helpful for the early kind of week. And then moving forward, I think it's more in thinking about how the baby becomes a little bit more, it gets a little bit more into exploring and moving around on their own. Popping in for a quick break to hear from our sponsors who allow me to keep bringing you amazing advice from our amazing guests. When we come back, Anya will share with us one of the most helpful pieces of advice that she learned as a new mother. You know how life doesn't stick to a schedule? Well, why should your paycheck? That's where Earn In comes in. It's an app that lets you access the money you've earned right when you need it, not just on payday. Imagine this, your dog suddenly needs a vet or your kid has a little accident and needs a dentist, ASAP. We've been there and waiting for your payday in those situations just doesn't make sense and it adds unnecessary stress. With Earn In, you can pull up to $100 per day or up to $750 each pay period directly from your earnings without the crazy fees or interest rates. It's super simple. Download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and get access to your earnings as you earn them. You decide what to tip and whatever you use gets settled on your next payday. More than 3.5 million users are finding relief and a sense of security with Earn In, calling it a lifeline for financial stability. That peace of mind, it's priceless, and it could be yours. Ready to give it a try? Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Clutter under Podcast when you sign up. It'll really help out the show. That's Clutter under Podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. And I think the one thing that I found probably what is one of the most helpful things for our baby's first year was setting up an intentional and fully safe place for the baby. So it's something that I've heard first from Magda Gerber from one of her books, and she calls it the 100% safe space. And I thought it was interesting how she explained what it is. Like she was saying that if you ever 
got locked out of the house for an hour or two. And then you got back in and your baby was in that space that'd be very upset and maybe hungry, but they'd be unharmed. So it's really quite safe. And of course, we don't ever want to be locked out of the house, but um, no. <laughs> that's sort of, that was her way, her way of explaining it. And so for us, that, that might look like maybe like a play yard or gate, interlocking gates that separate a part of the room, or maybe it could be a whole room if the space allows. And that's something that we kept going for all three kids when they were babies. And it's just been so wonderful. And I don't know very many families around us who do that. And I think part of it sometimes could be because we might feel like we don't have the space. And I think sometimes that really is the case. Like when I was growing up and I was a baby in a very tiny and I basically kind of lived in my crib and around my crib. And that was, that was kind of doubled as my sleep space and play space. But most of us know that there is probably ways to separate the two and it could be just a corner of the room that is gated off. Or for us, for example, when I first was born, we just, our whole living room, we had no furniture yet. We just moved into the house. And so we let her roam around that room. And it was practically empty because we knew that in the early days, we're not going to spend a lot of time sitting on furniture or using a coffee table. And then when her sister joined us, we separated part of that room that was the baby's area and then the rest was kind of a shared place and then when our third arrived nine years later he again used that kind of baby area and then the rest of the area was used by the older kids and they didn't have to put away some maybe games with small parts and they could watch a show uninterrupted and things like that so I felt that was just a really good tip and just a good thing to have when you have a baby. Okay, fascinating. I want to talk about the difference then between the children, right? So it sounds like when your oldest was born, first-time parents, younger parents, which means you didn't have as much stuff. Yes, that makes more sense. It seems like it would have been easier because, again, you're not spending as much money. You're not buying as many things. You're not, you didn't have all those things, all the baggage to come with it, right? So then your second one comes along. And you're now dividing the room. How do you decide then? And I love that example of how you said 100% safe space. If, of course, we're not planning to get locked out of the house, of course, we don't want to get locked out of the house. This is worst case scenario. But it is great to plan for those moments because we never know. We don't know what life is, what's going to happen. And so to have that, I can imagine it's such a sense of relief right? To know you have this place where baby can play. So what were some of the differences between your first daughter and your second daughter in, in there? Because they're only a couple, uh, four years apart, right? Yeah, about three and a half okay. years apart. Three and half, That's yep. right. And I felt, I think having that safe area in whatever form it was, even though it looked a little bit different for the two kids, I think it served us well in both cases. Because like you said, it just gave me a peace of mind. And even though, of course, I didn't move, I didn't leave the house at all when they were there or, or anything like that, but it gave me that peace of mind to go and make lunch or take that phone call without being super worried. And I think another thing that was super helpful there is that it let the babies explore without hearing that no and like, don't touch that and be careful, which I think was a really helpful thing for as well, which I felt that both of our girls had a chance to do, one in a slightly larger space and one in a smaller space. But it worked equally well because I recall uh, Janet Lansbury calling this safe play uh, area, I think she coined that term, yes, space. And I thought that was really cool because essentially babies don't really have to hear and know when they're there and they don't accidentally bump their head on something. They don't have, we don't have to worry about what they're doing. Cause like, for example, at nine months, I feel like all of my kids went through this stage where they wanted to empty things and like throw them down. And so them doing it with soft things in that space was a lot better than them pulling books off the shelf where it would be constantly worried about something heavy or things like that. So. They could just experiment with that gravity, right? That, oh, I pull this and it falls down and it's fine. I can do this uninterrupted. And they could follow their interests and 
that was really helpful for both for us as parents and I think for the babies as well to get that sense of mastery and the sense of like who they are in the world. Fascinating. Okay, so then obviously things were quite different by the time your son came along because you're looking at quite a few years gap between especially the oldest and, and him. And so yeah, nine years or so, right? Yeah, there was nine years. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Our kids didn't, didn't come together as we hoped. It <laughs> never happened that way. But what I loved what you said when you were describing the space too, was it also was not only good for him because he then had that space, but also for your girls because then they knew where they could keep their things without them being in harm's way, quote unquote, of the baby, right? Of a baby coming. And we all know babies are very exploratory, taking their things or obviously taking things he shouldn't have. And yeah, I can imagine that not only was it great for you and a stress reliever for you, but also for your girls. So that is a very interesting concept. I love it. Yeah, very much so, because by that point, they were into maybe some Playmobil or lots of tiny little pieces or Lego or all the different board games that have the little pieces. And sometimes they didn't want to put away their creations. And I think it was really helpful to be able to say yes again to them. It's okay if you just leave it there and you have your space. So that was really wonderful. And I should say that our living room is not a giant space either, but we were able (laughs) to make it work. So it's it, I think it's possible with some creative placement and moving things around. And yeah, and I think the other thing that that made me think about is the toys. Because mm. having this intentionally set play area for a baby really makes you kind of see it all together and see how many toys do we have. And there's some interesting statistics about that. I've read that. On average, when the re- when researchers came into uh, middle class North American homes, they could see there were about between ninety and one hundred and forty toys or like pieces of toys, and it wasn't even the total number that the family owned, but it was what the researchers could see from the vantage point in the living space that just standing in one spot. And then I thought, oh my goodness, that's a lot of toys. And then I tried to do the same for our home. And I said, yeah, that's probably true. Because if you look at all the little pieces and everything scattered around, and that's a lot of stuff. What has really helped me is having this defined play area and knowing that it actually helps kids focus and play longer when they have fewer play objects. The same study that um, looked at the number of toys they also looked at um, how if they gave uh, young toddlers uh, four, 16 toys, I believe it was, versus four toys, uh, they noticed that they played so much better with the four toys. They uh, played with each of them longer, and they also explored them in a greater variety of ways and in a more creative way. And so that having that defined area, I feel like it helped me think about how many things we want to have there so that it doesn't overwhelm the baby. And then, of course, we still had a lot of a lot more, but we started rotating them, so putting some of them away and then about every couple of weeks pulling them out. And I never had like, the perfect kind of Montessori-style setup. I know there's a lot of interesting videos about that that we can watch, and I didn't do anything very structured that way. But just having a few baskets and pulling out some new ones and then thinking about it from the baby's perspective or what might he find interesting or she, what might she be interested in? And then just putting them out as almost like as a little invitation to play every now and then was really, was really nice. Let's take one more quick break. And when we return, we will wrap up talking about ecology for babies and learn how we can use ecology and creativity in our homes to set up systems that work beyond those baby years. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. 
So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hmm, I love that. Not only the creativity for you, right, for the baby, but like everybody having that, right, if you can find yourself, and I definitely find this with everything I do. Like if I set a parameter, I set a boundary, it forces me to work within that boundary, to be more creative, to look at things from different angles and different perspectives. And right, not immediately jumping to a, no, I don't have a place in my home to set this up. There's no way I'm going to be able to do that. To saying like, hmm, if I were to set this up in my home, what would the best room for this be? If we were to how could we do this? And just letting your brain have a moment of thinking, thinking through the problem, trying to problem solve it instead of immediately putting up the defenses, which I know is sometimes so easy to do because sometimes these things are really difficult. And maybe in the end, it wouldn't, it doesn't work out exactly as you imagine it, or there are more barriers to get over. And so maybe it doesn't go exactly as planned, but 90% of something, 75% of something is better than zero of something I always think. So I love yeah. that. I love how you were yeah. sort of a kind of a creative challenge as to like how to put it together. And I think another reason sometimes I've heard people say, well, I don't want to put together these gates and I don't want to put gates mm. up in my home because it feels like I'm making like a sort of a baby jail or this sort of. I'm restricting something, but I was thinking about it. I think we can flip the script to actually gates allow babies more freedom, that freedom to explore and follow their interests in the same way that, for example, like a car seat or a high chair kind of is more, even though it's sort of in a sense containing them, but it's giving them these opportunities to do things like a car seat allows them to travel to a new place, like maybe to the library for circle time or to the park. And so it's giving them something as opposed to taking something away. And in the same way, a comfortable high chair gives them that stability and that comfort where they can eat with mastery and not be kind of uncomfortable in the moment and things like that. And I think about gates in the same way. They're they actually defining that space and giving them that freedom to explore and to be themselves and to have fun. And we can be there with them, of course, as well. So it's not the idea that you would just like lock them there and, and walk away, right? So it gives us a chance to be there with them and not having to say no or be careful or watch out kind of thing. And also like you were saying earlier, it gives you the sense of freedom. And so I feel like we play off of other people's emotions and feelings and we can sense what is happening around us and our children clearly can. And so if we are more relaxed and we are more present and we don't have to be thinking on constant alert and danger and panicking and worrying about everything, this gives everyone a sense of to breathe and just be relaxed and calm and enjoy the time together a little bit more. So I can see why people wouldn't want to put the screens up in their home. But also, I think we need to plan for the majority of the time and then just deal with the inconvenience for the few times when it happens, right? So like, I think a lot of people would say like, oh, I don't want to put the screens up because we have people come over. 
right? Or if we have company over, then I got to deal with the screens. Well, your company comes over maybe once a week, if I mean, and that would even be a lot, um, especially with new families. And maybe is it worth it to have the space for your family 90% of the time and then 10% of the time having to make some adjustment if you even need to, right? Yeah. And I think, yeah, you just brought up such a good point that it gives you that peace of mind. And when you don't have to worry, you have a chance to enjoy the time yourself and also get to know the baby. And that I think that that really helps us see what sort of what kind of people they are, what they like, what they find challenging, maybe. And that also can guide us in general, like in terms of what toys we find them, what activities we offer them and things like and yeah. So I think that's that could be just a really good sort of just introducing a little bit more calm um, into into our homes. Yeah. Um, and then as they grow and become toddlers. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we have one of those right now. <laughs> and it's busy and he wants to move. And of course, then I think what helps at that stage, what I found really helpful is thoroughly baby-proofing our home but also having spaces for him to practice those cross motor movements, like to jump, climb, to maybe carry large objects and do things like that, which again can be challenging in smaller spaces, but I think there are some creative solutions. We didn't have it with our first two, but with our third, we got gifted a pickler triangle, like a a climbing Mm -hmm. little climbing structure that was foldable and we could pull it in and out. And that just contributed so much to his confidence in navigating play structures at playgrounds and hills and at the park and things like that. So that was super wonderful. I know that nowadays there are play couches that are quite popular. So there's configure them a certain way. And we never had any of those. It seemed like a large investment into something that wouldn't be used for very long. But we just used cushions from a regular couch. And just put them down on the floor so they can kind of jump and tumble and and do things like that. And so then I think creating these opportunities for them kind of just takes away from them trying to, like it just, it makes it a little bit easier because then they're not climbing on the bookshelf that is, of course, anchored to the wall and things like that. But it's just still not the best place to climb. (laughs) So I think just helping them with that drive to explore is really helpful. And then another thing that uh, toddlers have is this drive to me do it, which is how my toddler says it, me do it. And so having these opportunities where he can do things, I think are very helpful. So it might look like a large, like a good step stool that allows him to participate in the kitchen or wash his hands by himself. All those things are so helpful because I think it removes a lot of power struggles and it gives him that sense of mastery and kind of sense of some control over um, his own care, which I think has been tremendously helpful in our case. And then, of course, the toys are still, we still probably want to rotate them. And there's going to be more toys coming into play with lots of small parts. And because they want to build, they want to sort and organize And I think it helps to have at least a few toys and objects. They don't have to be toys. They could be just safe play objects that we have around the house. But something that helps carry out those toddler play schemas, like carrying, organizing, rotating, positioning, things like that, like things that all toddlers will want to do. And we tried having play kitchens, like little play kitchens fitted into our own big kitchen so that they can do their own thing. But we found with all three kids, they just wanted the real tools. They wanted to mix and pour right there, but on the counter. And so we had the big step stool has been living in our kitchen for years now. And I think our kids learned colors from the silicone muffin cups that we have (laughs) because they love playing with them and helping bake and things like that. Very fun. And I love how you were open to just going with the flow, right? Figuring out what worked for your family and saying, okay, this didn't work for us. So I'm a, I'm assuming at this point you've let go of the play kitchen <laughs> every time. <laughs> Being able to say, okay, this didn't work for us. We'll let someone else try 
and see if it works for them. And just knowing that, right, some things that work for other people won't work for you and vice versa. Some things that work for you won't also won't necessarily work for other people as well. But I love the idea of being able to experiment, allow yourself that flexibility to try new things and be open and just having it with that kind of honest, clear eye of just being like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. And how have things changed now that as now that you've gone through several changes and stages of childhood, what happened then from kind of the toddler to the preschool, then to elementary school? Like what else, what other things have changed and and what would you recommend we do? Yeah, I think as, as our kids grow, I think what's been really helpful is helping them sort of further develop their autonomy and the ability to to do things themselves and opportunities for self-expression. And some of the things, for example, all three of my kids really enjoy art projects. But I think it's very easy to be very quickly overrun with art supplies and, and different like tinkering toys. And I love it myself. I love art, but it's it has to be sort of manageable in this season of life. And so what I found really helps is having a manageable number of things that are of good quality, but washable and within their reach and also sort of developmentally appropriate for their age. The other thing is what you would do with the projects that they create. That's such a challenge because it's impossible to throw things away, right? Because it's wonderful, but then they really accumulate as yeah. our kids grow. And something I've been doing is taking pictures of the most sort of the projects that are closest to their heart. And as they grew, we started doing that together. And they would even tell me, they would either write it down or tell me what maybe that is called or what they wanted to remember about that piece. And then I've been storing them in a folder by the child's name. And the file name would usually be the name of the project. And then when my eldest daughter, what I did is I created this book, her most favorite art project, and sort of the evolution of her work from age three to age 10. And that's just like such a wonderful keepsake. And that also sort of, that means that we just have that. And she does look at it quite often, as opposed to perhaps a collection of boxes with many things in them. And so I think that's been one really helpful thing for us through the years. I do the same. We take a lot of pictures. Oh, about the time our daughter, it took me too long to figure this one out, but I started taking pictures of her with the project also so well, I could better. remember oh well I'd like yours too because I don't know that well maybe they would want the picture of them with the project but that one's more for me <laughs> so also I love the keepsake though that is wonderful and I love that you've turned it into the book oftentimes I will start projects and I'll have all the pieces but sometimes they don't always get finished or put together so I love that there is a time where you said, okay, from at a certain date, we'll put this together. And it kind of alleviated some of the pressure to have to do it on a yearly basis or on a more regular basis. And it probably is a little more impactful because it is the one big book with, I mean, and it's probably not even that big, but in comparison, the one book with the things that were her favorite. And oh my gosh, I've got to implement though the what you said about them telling you about the piece and what it's called and writing that part down, that is, that's a fascinating piece of advice. So thank you for that little tip. I think it'll be wonderful to implement that as well. And I think Great. I'll use your approach to the child. I can do that. <laughs> wonderful. Oh, well, that's good. We both have come away with an idea. I love that part. So do you have any then the, any tips or tricks that you do for you as an adult? I feel like a lot of the things I talk about are habits and like setting up different things. Example, there was a study that showed it was, I believe it was at a healthcare facility. They wanted to encourage people to be healthier. And one of the things they decided was to get people to drink more water, right? Instead of hiding the water away behind a refrigerator door that you would have to open and close, it would be strategically placed throughout the eating area. So throughout the cafeteria where you would go, you'd get your tray, you'd get your food. There might be a water basket at the end of that station. There might be water right before the cashier's um, areas. It just, without people even realizing they were picking up the habit, 
they were grabbing water and then people were starting to drink more water, less soda. It's healthier for everybody involved. When I think of ecology or environmental hacking, that is like the one story that comes to mind for me. Maybe not ecology, maybe more environmental hacking. I always think of that story. And I think it's so fascinating that there are things we can do in our home. Like I recommend having a donation box and preceding it with a few things like a tip jar, right? Like you always put a little bit in the tip jar. So people want to put more in the tip jar. Kind of the same with the declutter box for me. I always keep one or two things behind from the donation and keep it in there. So people see, oh, there's already stuff in there, myself included. <laughs> like it's not, I'm hacking my own self. So are there tips and tricks like that we can do around our home from now that I have the expert on here? I'm curious to know. Yeah, I think I can think of quite a few things that I do. And I don't know, it's difficult to separate the ones that I help that help myself versus the ones that help our whole family. I think there's a, a bit of everything in each of them. And well, one of them maybe has to do, I do um, have a, a donation box. Uh, exactly. I think that's super, super helpful. Something I do at the start of each season is we go through each of the kids' closets and we only put in things that fit them and that are going to be season appropriate and ideally can be easily mixed and matched together, especially for my girls, because then they dress themselves and they, like, of course, my eldest would anyway, but uh, my middle daughter, she's quite creative in, in, in her self-expression in terms of her clothing and hair. And, but it's really great to have things that work. And then that just makes our mornings go so much smoother. And then I can focus on packing lunches and getting everybody ready uh, for the day and things like So that's another one that I think is really helpful. And of course, it, it takes a little bit of time at the start of each season. We just did it a couple of weeks ago for the fall. But I feel like it really pays off because then the rest, the next uh, three or four months just goes so much more smoothly. So yeah, that's one thing. And then the other um, example that I can think of is that and I'm sure you do that too. We have a two-story home, but it can also be, I think, helpful in other living arrangements. But I have a basket upstairs and a basket downstairs for things that need to go downstairs. They go in that basket and then reverse. That just really helps to for everything to find their place. And I feel like the, my kids are starting to do that too. And just to be able to to remember that, yeah, I will need that tomorrow and I should take it so it's in its place. That's a good one. That is a really good one. I don't do it as much now that we live in a single story, but when we lived in a two story, for sure, because there's always, actually, it was like a two and a half story. It was like had one lower level and then like, I don't know, lots of different levels. And it was definitely challenging because yes, you were always finding things that needed to go somewhere else and you weren't necessarily wanting to take that trip at the moment because I felt like if I did that, I would always get distracted. So the basket is clear winner. I love that one. That's really good. Before we head out, though, do you have any tips for older kids? I know we have our listeners have a lot of different ages of children. So I just want to make sure we don't miss. We talked so much about babies, which I understand um, your book is fascinating. So we'll definitely make sure we've talked about the babies. But what about for the older kids? Yeah, I think a couple of tips I have for any age, but and that applies to older kids as well, would be to make a good use of the libraries in your area. And we love our public library that we call it the big library. And my girls, are, especially my eldest, she's quite the reader. And so we, we go to the library all the time. And that's just a, a wonderful way to explore more books and to also not necessarily buy every book that uh, they're ever interested in. And then the other thing is if you have a little library in your area, which are now popping up everywhere, I think we have a few in our neighborhood, like those little tiny ones. I feel like that's a really great way too. And it's always like a bit exciting to go to bike or walk there and see what's out there. And again, that's just a nice way to have new books without necessarily having to buy. Them. And, and then another tip that applies to all ages is, of course, just to get outside much as possible because there's always, it's just a Outside is like the best playground <laughs> because there's always novelty. There is always new things and there's no cleanup and we can enjoy it as a family. That little tip there, there's no cleanup. Oh, so good. Well, and we have no excuse. We live in San Diego. We have absolutely no excuse to not get outside. We lived in Germany and for uh, when our daughter was in kindergarten and I was just fascinated 
with the weather they would take the kids outside in and this idea that there is no bad weather, there's just the wrong clothing, or I'm sure I've butchered that quote or somehow, but it, that was always that fascinating an idea because, right, you can go outside in any weather. I snowboard. I love snowboarding. That is not great weather to be outside in. It's freezing cold and you'll spend the entire day outside doing an activity. It's always a great reminder, but yes, definitely getting outside. And I love the extra tip of there's nothing to clean up because it's outside and we don't have to clean ourselves, but we have to clean ourselves anyway. That's so good. And then for anybody listening that doesn't know what a little library is, these are generally free little stands that people will set up in their uh, front yard and you can come and give a book and take a book and it's all free and they are so wonderful. We have a couple here in our neighborhood. I love it being a destination. Like you said, it's a great place to walk to or bike to. It gives you a place to go and like a destination to hit when sometimes you're having a struggle of like, I want to get outside, but I don't want to just walk around the 300 feet around our backyard or whatever. I don't know. Anyways, yes, I do love those as well. And the library, mm, I'm a huge library fan as well. Selfishly, I want to ask, what are some of the books that your daughter is into? Our daughter's also a voracious reader and will be coming upon the end of a series soon. So I'm curious. I'll get some suggestions. Yeah, so yeah, my middle one is into Harry Potter right now. And then all sorts of fantasy, all sorts of fantasy. Cool. Yeah, Wings of Fire, everything. Yep, we've done Wings of Fire. We've done Warriors is our current one. Yeah, anyway, I love it. I love that she loves to read. And it's been fun for me. I get the books on Libby and they're the audiobooks. So I'll listen to them so she can tell me who the characters are. and We can talk about the different, you know, things that are happening and anyway it's a lot of fun but yeah, I, I do the um, same but that yeah. makes ourselves into it right and then yeah, very and then true it yeah I, it is true and a lot of the books are really good these days and so it's nice and i'll listen to it on like almost double speed so i can just buzz right through it really fast because again the storylines are not as complex but it is fun and it is a good excuse just to have kind of easy entertainment kind of at my fingertips and nothing that's going to be too challenging for my mind but it is fun to just get creative and listen to what they're listening to so i want you to tell listeners where they can find you because this has been fascinating tell people more about your book where they can find you and uh, where we can look you up yeah thank you i can be found on my website it's kidecology.com and i have a number of blog articles there a number of pdfs on how to find daycare for your baby and things like that and my book, it's called Baby Ecology, and it can be found on Amazon and everywhere else that where books are sold. And it, it's kind of bringing together the science of baby's first year and helping us create those environments that are best for baby's sleep, feeding and care and play, and that help them kind of be the people that they are from the perspective of an ecologist. And I think the main thing um, that I learned after in writing my book is that there's very rarely one right way to do anything. And there's usually this beautiful range of options that we can choose from to find ones that work best for our unique kids, our unique families. And so that's what my book is all about, about seeing that big range and finding what works best for you. Well, Anya, this has been wonderful, but one of my favorite ways to end every episode, you're not off the hook yet, is I like to end with three rapid-fire questions. And so the first one is, what does clutter-free mean to you? Well, I think clutter for me is like a thief of energy. And so clutter-free would be a space, and whether that's a physical space or a metaphorical space, where I can think and be creative and just enjoy life. Mm. So good. Number two, what is one thing you want listeners to walk away uh, or take away from today's show? If they take one thing away, what, what do you want them to know? I think that would just be a reminder that sometimes it's the small, really tiny changes that make a big difference. And if any of the tips from today's episode resonated, and just take one and just give it a try and just try it for size for your family and just see where it takes you. Love that. So the third one is, what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? 
Oh, I think that just today, I guess the season is just so very busy and it just feels like there's just so much to think about. But tomorrow I just have an almost full day at home with my toddler and I just really look forward to that. Fabulous. Well, Anya, thank you so much for joining us on Wanna Be Clutter Free today. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. I so enjoyed this episode and loved Anya's advice. Motherhood can be riddled with guilt and expectation. And so if we can set up our home environment as a place of support that lends itself to more peace and clarity, it will free up ourselves for a much more pleasant and fulfilling motherhood. But I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Do you have any changes you want to make in your home after listening to Anya? Or do you have any big questions that we didn't address? I would love to know so I can cheer you on and help you out. Come on over to Instagram. You can send me a DM there. I'm at wannabeclutterfree on the social channels. You can also comment on this post or tag me in your stories. Or come on over to the Wannabe Minimalist Family Group on Facebook and share with the community. There will be a discussion thread for this episode, and we would love to chat with you in the comments. And you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a comment on Spotify for this episode, or you can comment on YouTube. And remember, if you know someone who is just starting out their family or maybe could set up better systems in their home, go ahead and share this episode with them. It might just be the thing that they need today. And of course, special thanks to Anya for joining us on the show today and for sharing all of her wonderful advice from her expertise and real-life experiences. I am a big fan of systems, and it's so interesting to hear all about this advice from a scientific perspective. So make sure that you head on over to wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 177 if you want to learn more about Anya, get that baby ecology book. Again, that's at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 177. And as always, thank you for joining me today too. With that, I hope you have an amazing day and I will see you back here next week for a solo show. I will be finishing up our digital decluttering series and we will be looking at our digital files. Now, if you want to know how I deal with the abundance of the digital files in my life, be it work files, personal files, and all of that, and how I keep it all organized, well, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss it. Until next time, take care, think clutter-free, and remember, I believe in you. I'm Deanna Yates, and you've been listening to Wanna Be Clutter-Free. I'll see you next week. Cheers. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.